Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 58. Psalm 58. Once again, it is a um, Scottish historical title to the sermon. I'm not very good at sermon titles, so I have a series of Scottish ones that you've been undergoing. And, uh, of course, if you've seen the movie Braveheart, you know what this means. Psalm 58, uh, the inspired word of God, inerrant and true. Uh, Let us hear the word of God. To the choir master, according to do not destroy a mitcam of David. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No. In your hearts, you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf otter that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or the cunning enchanter. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Like the stillborn who never sees the sun, sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely. There is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we ask now that your word would be open and that indeed that you would touch us and change us with it. Change the way that we think. Change the way that we live. Change the way that we feel, we ask, O God, that we might be more like Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, events this last week in Ukraine and Venezuela have been shocking, haven't they? In Venezuela, a costly struggle against unfettered evil continues. In Ukraine... The mask has been torn off evil, and it has been seen for what it is. In Ukraine, the parliament has changed course. They've corrected to the earlier constitution, and they have removed the godlike president. I can't pronounce his name. Most of them have a first name, Victor, and the last name begins with some form of vich of one sort or another. But they're dear people. I've taught in the seminary there several times. The president's country palace, complete with its own massage parlor with folded towels, a personal golf course, and a 16th century sailing galley ship for his private lake. They've been abandoned by him and subsequently toured by the taxpaying citizens of Ukraine who paid for it all. But I'm told by friends on Facebook and Twitter that it was the hundreds of duck houses that 
really shocked them. Apparently, uh, their godlike president liked only to eat duck and caviar, and he would only drink wine in bottles with his own picture on it. That murderous one was stopped trying to flee to Mother Russia. And we saw yesterday his rival, the golden girl, has now been freed from prison. Tell it not in Gath, but a Bible-believing evangelical is now the speaker of the parliament and the president pro tem. And he has the confidence of the European nations as well as our foul-mouthed lady diplomat who got caught on tape. The courageous ones of the maiden did not buckle as the barcoot charged and as the snipers fired. Almost a hundred are known to be dead. And I heard from MTW missionary Clay Quarterman today, the road on which they died has been, this, been renamed by Parliament, the Street of the Heavenly Hundred. A scholar friend from Croatia who has witnessed firsthand heartbreaking violence, tweeted yesterday, I am a Ukrainian. Every free man is a Ukrainian. Now, lest you worry your pulpit has become entangled in politics, let me note for you that there is a deep satisfaction that comes when the good guys win and the evil empire is thwarted. In this broken and sinful world, none of us knows what tomorrow may bring. Civil war. Invasion by the Russians. The chaos of childish political strife. All of these are possibilities in our fallen world, are they not? For tomorrow and the week after and the week after that. I will also digress and say, and this is an eschatological statement. You can think about it as you eat chili. In recent decades, I have stared deeply into the eyes of Mr. Putin. There I have not found one with whom I can do business. Rather, I'm afraid that perhaps I have seen a clearer portrait of the Antichrist than I have ever seen in my adult life. Marx, Lenin, Stalin, even Hitler... At least they had the integrity in the name of atheism to do their evils. But Mr. Putin, he wraps himself in the golden robes of the Orthodox Church. He kisses an icon even as he orders rapes, murders, and theft. But if even just for a moment, there is joy in seeing a sinful system destroyed. The psalm this evening feels the same. In Psalm 58, David sings for us a song of judgment, of sin, and joy over such sin destroyed. Listen to his melody and hear the charges that he lays. Verse 1, do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? Here, David is singing 
and under inspiration, writing words that the whole church takes upon her lips because her head, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sings them as well. He sings the indictment. The charges are laid. The gods referred to here are the leaders of Israel. And he is charging them about their evil rule and their corruption of justice. What is the verdict? When they are weighed in the balance of history? No. In your hearts you devise wrong. In your your hands deal out violence on earth. What testifies against them? Verses 3 to 5 tell us most poignantly. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. Here in song and verse, our minds go all the way back to the very early pages of Genesis. David sings in dark tones of the total depravity which they have from birth, these wicked and evil rulers. And each one of their deeds dark are rooted in the work of the devil himself. The language of the serpent who beguiled our first mother, who tempted and overthrew the righteousness of our first father Adam who has been spawning his seed of evil and rebellion, cascading down through the centuries and years. The evidence is overwhelming. All of history testifies against them. They are but once again what we have always experienced, the abuse of power and a hatred of what is right. The conclusion, interestingly, is not absolutely drawn. Yes, there is an emphatic no that they are not what they should be. But yet we are left as the tune plays to draw the strong conclusion firmly in our hearts. These sons of the devil are evil inside and out. Now, what does this mean? What will happen in the face of such evil? We hear the psalmist continue to sing from verses 6 to 9. Oh, God, oh, God, break the teeth in their mouths. What's noteworthy here is that we are to tremble at the curse that under inspiration, the psalmist sings. And it is not just the curse of an angry or upset or frustrated human ruler. It is not the curse of a a neighboring empire or a neighboring state. It is rather a divine curse. The curse of God Almighty spoken by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the mouth of a prophet king. Oh, God, David sings. Now, David sings this not because he thought it up on his own, but because he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. The very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he inspired his prophet, king, grandfather of old by pouring the Holy Spirit out upon him to carry him along. The words which he sings 
are words of the Spirit, are words from the Son, who is also from the Father. O Father, judge them now, I pray. We hear in Jesus' psalm. He sings these words, and He calls upon all His church to sing as well. He is the Word of the Father. He is the exact representation of His nature. He is the Son of His Father's love. Jesus, Jesus Christ calls down a curse upon the evil rulers of men. Now let me ask you, does that trouble you? Does it bother you that Jesus would speak and sing in this way? Do you much more prefer Jesus, the little baby, meek and mild? Does your Jesus have no teeth? Does he have no fist which we, with which he can smash the teeth of evil? Remember, no one in all the scriptures speaks of hell as frequently or as poignantly as Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember, he has told us what is to come. No one other than Jesus will speak to the angels and give them command to throw those so judged as outside of him into the lake of fire. No one but Jesus is the Son of Man who comes in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. You will see him. Better take that on board. Better get happy with it because it is to come. Now, there's a fascinating line of illustration in the middle of this psalm, beginning with verses 6 through 9. We have seven similitudes, seven little illustrations, broken teeth, a lion's fangs removed. A dried up stream, blunted arrows, a slithering snail who dissolves in his slime, a stillborn child, and then one that warms the heart of every ceramic engineer, broken, unfired pots of clay, which God sweeps away with the wind. But at its heart, the curse laid out in these verses is a disempowering curse. It's divine, and because it's divine, it is very disempowering. Broken teeth and excised fangs speak of the powerlessness of the wicked and evil rulers under the hand of judgment of God. Blunted arrows, which fly in the air and then bounce off of men, speak of these rulers' inability to any longer cause harm in battle and to hurt a fellow human being. At its core, this curse is also denuding. It strips away down to the very core the being of these evil ones. They're a disappearing stream. They're a dissolving snail, a stillborn child, unfired pots of clay. All of these are ways of illustrating that they evaporate. They vanish from public view. 
So what are we to think? And what are we to do in the face of such a powerful curse which surely shall come to pass? Surprisingly, the psalmist tells us to enjoy the celebration. To enjoy the celebration of providence, as he says in verses 10 and 11. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. This is the vengeance of providence. It is an act of God. It is something that the Lord does in His infinite power and wisdom and glory. God strikes down the evil rulers in the most amazing and unexpected of ways. This psalm is a tune, not just about ultimate judgment to come, which is true, but it's rather also and more immediately a reference to judgment here and now, in time and space, in the experience of our world, in the days of your life. God is at work. And like we've seen recently in Ukraine, evil falls even when no one had the slightest expectation. And so it is our job to respond to the mighty work of God in providence with rejoicing and giving Him thanks. But make no mistake, the righteous will rejoice when they see what is labeled rightly as the vengeance of God. He will bathe His feet in the blood of the wicked, we are told. Now perhaps again this language disturbs you. But let me pastorally say to you, it should not. You need to learn to think and feel rightly. God's providential judgment is real. Evil is defeated by Him. Not just one day by and by, but even now, in the days of our lives, on CNN, on Fox News, on the front page of the newspaper, God occasionally intervenes in a powerful and breathtaking way to remind us that evil will not ultimately triumph and His name will ultimately be praised. Blood is shed and righteousness triumphs as God strikes down the devil and his forces before us. This means that as the children of God, of those that love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when He unsheaths His providential sword and when He swings it in a way which amazes us, and we know to give Him alone the glory. We must walk through their blood on the way to this celestial city. It is a fact of life in a fallen world that the God of providence breaks out in order to restrain evil and to point us to His ultimate triumph to come. Where will we rest? In the celestial city. Where will we bathe our feet from all the dust and muck? Not in this life, but only when Jesus comes again. Our hearts will be settled and established in righteousness. And we will rest in His presence. So now we must learn to feel what is right. 
When God triumphs over evil, we must thank Him from the mind and from the heart. We must walk in His victory. We must walk in His way. That old 19th century commentator and hymn writer, Andrew Bonar, he said so wisely, No doubt, at the sight of Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed, the angels saw cause to rejoice and to sing hallelujah. Wickedness was swept away. Earth was lightened of its burden. Justice, the justice of God, was highly exalted. Love to his other creatures was displayed in freeing them from the neighborhood of such hellish contamination. And on the same principle, the Lord Jesus himself and each one of his members shall cry one day, Hallelujah! Over the Antichrist's ruined hosts. Oh, it is a sober thing not to be reflected on lightly, but to be rejoiced in profoundly that God is not powerless in this world, that He indeed will do right. And verse 11 lets us know that righteousness is rewarded in this process. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. The connection between judgment and reward is so interesting. Put together here in, in one verse, in, in two phrases, as it were, sewn so tightly together. Reward is God's beautiful reflex in judgment. He judges sin. He judges evil, and so he rewards his people in their patience and suffering with relief and encouragement as they walk on the way. So how then shall we live? How do we live in a world full of Kievs and Ukraines? How do we live in a world on which what is happening on the streets in Venezuela yet is unsettled? Well, my brothers and sisters, from the Word of God, I command you this. Love good and hate evil. You must start back at first principles. Understand who God is and what He is like. That He has made you in His image. That you must think and feel like Him. And you must call good, good. And you must call evil, evil. And one you must love. And the other you must abhor with all your being. Do right. And feel right both. You know, so often for us, the temptation is is that we know what doing right is. And, and even if we can muster outward obedience on the inside, we're like Lot's wife looking over our shoulder. It is only by the grace of God that because of our feelings, we're not all just piles of salt. Remember, but for the grace of God, there go I. Lest you look upon the evil, wicked rulers who are judged by God in this psalm, lest you look down on them and say they are so evil and and imply that you are so righteous, remember that you are totally depraved as well by nature, that you have nothing of which to be proud before God in your flesh. Here, in the references to righteousness which God alone can give, in the references 
to reward and blessing, which none of us deserve, is the pointer forward through the sands of time to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to the great fulfillment of the covenant of grace. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Fourthly, speak truth to power. Now, I didn't learn that from a liberal theological faculty. You know, that's a good old-fashioned reform principle. Speak truth to power. Where there's evil power, you speak truth to it. And here the psalmist teaches us also to sing to it. To sing of God and His role in the world. To encourage our hearts with the fact that God indeed will judge evil, that He will bless the righteous, that He will level the table. And as your heart is comforted and encouraged by that song, you can leave those matters safely with Him rather than thinking that you must be the agent to fix all the world. You see, only God can do it. You can't fix all the evil in the world. But you can pray and you can sing and you can speak the Word of God and inside and out you can do and feel right by His grace and by His strength. And remember... The reward for the wicked is bitter, but for the righteous, by His grace, is sweet. You trust in Christ. You abide in Christ. You be like your Savior. And so with the psalmist I say, keep calm and watch the judgment of God. Let us pray.